Although the calendar has yet to reach March, there's still plenty of madness within college basketball, and it is upset city left and right happening right now. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about if the Edmonton Oilers tied the Pittsburgh Penguins for their record for longest winning streak in NHL hockey for most consecutive wins in a row. So stay tuned, guys. We've got plenty to talk about. I'm your host, Matthew Raritan, and this is Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. Guys, I love this time of year. It's more of I love sports in general, where, yes, we are seeing one sport in with the NFL. You've got the Super Bowl happening right now, but there's so much sports still happening, but there's also a lot getting ready to start. I mean, we've got college baseball college softball getting ready to start, golf right now. I mean, we're going to talk about uh, this weekend, this uh, Phoenix Open here. I mean, if you're a golf fan, this is probably the most fan-loved event, and we're going to talk more specifically about that here. But it's just sports is always happening. It is just like the earth. It is always turning, and it's never stopping. And I love that because I'm, I'm just such a big sports fan that I always have something to look forward to. And uh, here we are Thursday that you're going to have uh, the Phoenix opening start here. So it's just always happening, and I'm loving it. I know you guys are too. Um, but I'm going to introduce my hosts here who I know are also loving everything that's happening with sports right now. First, we've got David Street. What's up, everybody? And secondly, we've got Ed Smith. Welcome, y'all. Guys, I just want to get your quick input, your opinions here. I mean, isn't sports just amazing? It's just never stopping. And are you guys okay with that? (laughs) I'm totally okay with that. I have made it through all the uh, extended years of my life, you know, despite whatever else is happening. Sports has kind of centered everything around it and, you know, just keep moving along. You know, I once I once saw a tweet, um, like it was a tweet about college football, but I think it can apply to sports in, in general. And it was right before the college football season started. I think it was uh, last year. And the tweet said, um, I'm about to uh, let my college football team dictate my my mood for an entire season. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that rings true. Yeah, not just for college football, but for any sport, any team that that we root for. You know, even when we even when we like try to be calm, like we try to not like let it let it get to us. Deep down, we know, like, yeah, like I'm about to let a team dictate how I feel these days. My. uh... My lovely wife can attest to that. I mean, she knows uh, how I how I could be, or just sports fans in general, and that just 
how much it could dictate on your life, just depending on how well they do or how crappy they do. I mean, you could be as happy as can be because your team is winning. Or, well, you could walk around with uh, brown paper bags on your head like you the Detroit Lions and Cleveland Browns once did. That's dude, your was, life. Dude, like literally like, you know, um, the day after uh, we lost FSU, um, that sealed our five and seven fate. I had church the next day and I was totally miserable. I did not want to be there at all. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like, don't talk to me. My favorite football team just had a crazy season. Yeah, college football. And there's a reason why we love talking about college football, because it's just one of those sports that it's got probably the most diehard fans. It, it's life or death to a lot of people, and that, that does sound very exaggerated. It, it, that's just kind of my point there is that you go down to the south, you go down to Texas where Ed is, and college football, it is through and through. That's that's what they live. That's what they breathe down there. Uh, it, that's just their life right there. But uh, there's – College football is, uh, I don't want to say over. Yes, the season's over, but it's still happening. We did have National Signing Day today, but college basketball is is living on right now. And yes, like I said earlier in the intro, it is not March, but that does not mean that there can't be upsets. And well, last night we actually saw an upset. We I want to say we briefly talked about it on our show, but Ed's, I mean, Dave's going to take more of a deep dive into this, and that was Clemson at North Carolina. So... Yeah, guys, a major, major upset happened last night, and we did briefly talk about it uh, during our show. Um, but the uh, Clemson Tigers uh, went into Chapel Hill and defeated uh, North Carolina. So Clemson is now a whopping 2-60 against the Heels in Chapel Hill. And, excuse me, guys, this was, a, this was a game that Clemson was actually in complete control of. They led they led wire to wire, and they were up by 16 at one point. Uh, they were powered by Ian Scheifelin's uh, 14 points, 11 rebounds. P.J. Hall had 25 points and 9 boards, and Joseph Girard III had 21 points and 6 boards. And then to give credit to uh, UNC, uh, Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis combined for uh, 46 points. Um, but as I... You know, as we talked about uh, the, the other night, I'm not really worried about North Carolina. Like, they'll probably lose a couple more games in the regular season, but I think they're positioned well enough to um, to at least get into the tournament. Now, when, a Clem- when it comes to uh, a Clemson, you know, I got to say, like, when you look at Clemson's resume, they actually have a few really good wins. I mean, Alabama... South Carolina, I mean, who would have thought, like, who would have said that South Carolina is a good win before the season? But South Carolina has been killing it this season, so they got that win. And now they got North Carolina, and obviously, as we're as we're speaking, they got, they got the win in Chapel Hill, which is obviously going to be something that the selection committee uh, looks at. I mean, if you, can, if you can win on the road in a tough environment like that, then you definitely uh, help your chances. Um, now Clemson does have a couple, a couple of bad losses, um, to, to be fair. Um, but, but again, like when I'm looking at the wins that they have, it's really hard to ignore, um, the quantity of wins that they've gotten. And plus it it does help that they have a decent record. I think they're like what, 15 and seven, 16 and seven. So, so they are having a, a pretty decent season, but yeah, just huge, 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 huge win for uh, Clemson. Yeah, David, it sounds like what I'm hearing here is uh, 
Clemson is like the king of the Carolinas right now. I mean, they beat North Carolina, who beat Duke. They've also beat South Carolina. I mean, shoot, Clemson is the ruler of the Carolinas right now. So who would have thought? And it's not football we're talking about. For sure, yeah. <laughs> who would have thunk it? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. But, yeah, I mean, that, that that is a great win for this program, especially, like you said, 2-60 at Chapel Hill. That is not pretty. That just shows you almost every single time they are going in there, it's almost a guaranteed loss. And like I said, they led wire to wire, and they were up by 16 at one point. That is absolutely insane to do, especially in an environment that that is a um, a sort of uh, – God, what's the, what's the term I'm looking for? Um the term works like house of horrors, a place that's that's basically been a house of horrors for you. Yeah, no, it, it is it is very impressive, and that's the thing about college basketball; it can be very unpredictable. But I agree with you. This North Carolina team, they're a team that is is going to be around, obviously, probably till uh, the very end. But unpredictable is what it, it, college basketball is at its finest, and last night was one of them with that Clemson uh, victory. But uh, last night we also had the number one team in the country right now face off against Butler, who just had an upset victory over a ranked opponent in Creighton. So, Ed, how bad a performance go for Butler? Well, you talked about college basketball being unpredictable. The most predictable thing right now is UConn is – is going to uh, be very consistent, very balanced, and just dominate who they're playing. I mean, it's very simple. You know, Butler actually came into this game uh, averaging 81 points per game. They only scored 62. You know, so, so that's a great defensive effort by UConn. But UConn, <clears throat> you know, on the offensive end, you know, they finally got Donovan Klingon into the offense you know, after his injuries, after a couple of games where he was in foul trouble, you know, trying to get back from his injury, you know, they really were able to play inside out, you know, for most of the game and, you know, you know, just dominated this game. This is a UConn team that hasn't lost since five days before Christmas. We're in February. That is, that is a great, you know, stretch uh, for a team when there's so much parity around them, they are really showing themselves to be head and shoulders above everybody else. You know, I talked about uh, Klingon. He had a double-double, 18 points, 14 boards. I mean, he was all over the place and really dished well, you know, with the different sets that UConn runs. And, you know, when they needed a big three to really seize the momentum, Cam Spencer was the guy. You know, he was four of eight from behind the arc. And, you know, whenever it splashed down, that arena went nuts. And <clears throat> for good reason. You know, this is a team that, you know, you look at some of these upsets that are happening around the top five and top ten. UConn seems impervious to it at this point. You know, go ahead. You were saying? No, you can finish your point, and then I have a question for you. Oh, I was uh, just going to point out that uh, UConn shot 47% last night, 35% behind the arc. Those are winning numbers. You know, when I talked about Butler having, you know, scored a lot of points, but they were held to 37% shooting and only 22% behind the arc. You know, that is not going to get it done, you know, against a team that is just rolling right now. Devin... 
Uh, David, what's your question? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and actually, I think you know I'll, I'll address it to uh, to uh, both of you. But like, why do you guys think? Why do you guys think the UConn men's team is uh, like so underrated every single season? I mean, certainly they don't get nearly as much love uh, as the the, the uh, women's team, um, and like nobody really talks about them until we go into March. But the men's team, I think, has like what uh, five national championships. So, like they're up there, you know, among the most uh, na- national championships for for uh, for programs, and yet they barely ever get talked about. Why is that? I think the Big East plays a big part of it at this point, you know, because it's a conference that, you know, disbanded football, so nobody talks about it being a conference in and of itself. It is purely basketball-driven, you know, in the national spotlight, and which means that, for the most part, only people in the Northeast really care. So that's going to be a uh, – that's going to be a thing where – you're not going to have people talk about them nationwide because only a, a quarter of the surface area of uh, the United States is, is even looking at this team. Yeah, for sure. And I think just to add to your point, and, I'll, and then I'll get to you, Matthew. I mean, um, I mean Vill- Villanova's in the Big East, right? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, to kind of uh, piggyback off of your point, like I remember something similar happening – uh, it was the 2017-2018 uh, season, I believe, where everybody was talking about, like, well, who's the best team? Like, no one's, like, really standing out. And then here was Villanova just quietly dominating teams. And then when, when March came, you know, when all the teams are talk, talked about, Villanova just kind of reminded everybody that they were the best team from start to finish. Because if you guys remember that tournament run in 2018, they just straight up murdered everybody in, in their path. Like, it was one of the most dominant runs um, in tournament history. Matthew? Yeah, I mean, Jay Wright really made uh, Villanova relevant. And Villanova is a very small private college in Philadelphia, if I'm correctly. Mm-hmm. And it's so their market's already small. But the Big East right now, their market alone is just, it's not as big as what we're hearing. And they, UConn, they're, they're not having these stars quote-unquote stars like the Zach Eadies or the Hunter Dickinsons that are con- constantly now getting the spotlight that, because they play for these bigger market schools such as Kansas, Purdue, um, and a lot of these are – you're looking at Alabama. I mean, Alabama last year with uh, uh, Brandon Miller, it, it's one thing to have their juggernaut of the football team that's always doing great. Now their basketball team's doing that too. So it, they're just constantly getting looked at more. And uh, you're right, UConn is constantly kind of getting swept under the rug, and they quietly won the tournament last year. And look at them now. They are piggybacking off of that momentum into this year. And to have their last loss, did you say five days before Christmas, Ed? I mean, that's phenomenal right now to have that type of run. And uh, kudos to, to their program with what they're doing there. So Absolutely. I have a question for both of you guys uh, when it comes to UConn. Who is their rival? Uh, exactly. That's yeah, my I point. Mean, I mean, you know, maybe Villanova? The profile of a program is raised by the rivalry that they have with other schools. You know, so when you see that hate from one school to another, yeah. like you see with mm-hmm. UNC and Duke, yeah. you know, part of, you know, their identity is that rivalry. 
Mm-hmm. You know, UConn does not have that kind of identity because we can't tell who their rival actually is. Yeah, that's a good point. Never thought of it like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of goes also to the, their market as well. Is that uh, maybe if they had a bigger market, you would know who their rival is. So, yeah, that's a good point, Ed. But uh, you know, we we also saw uh, as well Oklahoma State and Houston and guys. This is a Houston team that we expect to see on a regular basis, not the one that we saw Saturday against the Jayhawks. Last night we saw the actual Cougars team as they defeated the OSU Cowboys 79-63. And this was such a great refresher for the Cougs because after a 13-point blowout loss to Kansas this last weekend – you know, I know OSU is not a ranked opponent. I know I say OSU, don't get it confused, Ohio State, Oklahoma State. Um, it, this was a game where you got to see a team, it, what they're really made of. Because when you uh, have such a big loss like that, like they did against Kansas, um, you don't know really how they're going to come out this game. And, um, you know, unlike the 69% they gave up uh, from the field against Kansas, uh, they only gave up a measly 40% to uh, the Cowboys. I mean, they, the Cowboys really struggled from the field. I mean, only having 40%. I mean, that's a, almost a 30% turnaround when you look at that. 69% from Kansas, how they shot, to 40% for uh, the, uh, Oklahoma State. That is a giant turnaround. And now you're starting to see this Houston defense that they are known for because having a, a – a game like that where you're holding your opponents to that low uh, just really shows what you can do as a team, especially coming off that loss there. But, um, you know, they they had a 20-point lead, but this this is one point that I really want to talk about is they had a 20-point lead at this point, but you saw kind of a, a little spark in this team when you saw head coach Kelvin Sampson was ejected from the game after he stormed the court to call out the officials for these blatant no calls that they had. I mean, I don't know if you saw this happen how as it unfolded, but yes, they were up by 20 points, but there was clear, obvious fouls that the ref just weren't calling. And it doesn't matter if your team is up by 20 or if they're up by one. Those are calls that should be made, and Samson really felt that way too. Um, interesting enough, this is Samson's first ever ejection in the 10 years that he's coached there in Houston. So, I mean, it, it just shows you that something really got under his skin for him to run out on the court, even though his team was up by 20 points, to really tell the rest, you are doing really crappy at your job, and I know I'm going to get fined for this, but you guys are doing horrible tonight, and I expect you to be better, You know, not for me, but for these players. It's only fair that if these refs are on their best game every single game, because, I mean, these are players that we're talking about that are, you know, giving their lives on, on the court here to eventually make it somewhere. Um, so I really feel like that was the spark that this team needed because not just for this game, but for this season, that goes a long way. When you have a coach that's going to go out on the court and fight for you, uh, that shows you what kind of coach you have and nothing gets a team more fired up than that. I mean, we saw that I've talked about it on here before the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell, you saw the, the fire Dan Campbell had for his team 
And well, they gave it to him right back because it was such a mutual respect. But that's what I see here with that uh, Kelvin Sampson uh, ejection there. First time in 10 years. This is something that does not happen almost ever. So the fact that he did that for his guys out there, I think this Houston team, uh, even though they got blown out against Kansas, they're going to be a team to keep an eye on for the rest of this year going into March. But uh, as far as college basketball goes, uh, and that's kind of our recap. We did give a recap of the weekend, which it was such a monster weekend. But uh, we having this upset last night with North Carolina, and then just to talk about UConn with the the greatness that they are doing on the court right now deserves to be talked about. They should not be. Uh, you know, underrated because they are a great basketball program and they have been for quite some time. So they deserve to have this talk. But before we go on to this next topic, guys, I want to talk about quirks of creation. The universe is bigger than we ever dreamed and history is stranger than we've ever realized. But from quantum mechanics to the wonder of pyramids, quick Quirks of Creation is a podcast that looks at the mysterious from all corners of God's mysterious universe. Tune in with Jess and Elise for a conversation about culture, biblical texts, scientific discoveries, and more to uncover where we've been and where we might be headed. You can find them on YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, or on AmericanDailyPress.com. So go ahead, like, and subscribe, and follow Quirks of Creation. Things are going to get it's going to be like weird science. It's going to be like Robert Downey Jr. and weird science. It gets weird, but it's awesome. Go ahead, check them out. Quirks of creation, guys. But uh, I really want to talk about hockey last night. I don't want to spoil anything, but there may or may not be a reason why I'm wearing this uh, Penguins jersey. Uh, David, you want to maybe uh, cue the fans on what I'm talking about here? So if you follow hockey, then you know that the um, that the Oilers have been on this incredible uh, winning streak, uh, so incredible that they were, uh, you know, that they needed just one more win to tie the all-time win streak record, which was set by the Pittsburgh Penguins in the early '90s. And they and did they do it? No, they did not do it. So we know you're happy about it, Matthew. But listen. Kudos to, like, it's an insane winning streak, you know, regardless. I mean, the last time a team won 16 straight games was the Columbus Blue Jackets in the, back in the late 2010s. So kudos to them for still, you know, winning that many games. But how did this happen? Well, it's actually really easy to, uh, to tell guys, because here's the thing. If you're going to go up, if you're going up against, a defensive-minded team like the Vegas Golden Knights, and you don't prepare accordingly, you're likely going to have a very bad time. So the Golden Knights, they are third in the NHL in takeaways. In this game, they had 12 takeaways compared to the Oilers' two takeaways. The Golden Knights are also third in the NHL in block shots. In this game, they uh, the Golden Knights had 26 block shots compared to 17 block shots for the uh, Oilers. And let me just paint you a picture of just how defensive minded uh, the golden are. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you some, uh, I'm going to give you some numbers here. These are, uh, these are the block shots from non defensemen. So I'm going to start with the Oilers first Two block shots uh, from non defensemen from the Vegas golden Knights, 13. So that's 13 
compared to two. So in case you ever wonder, like, why the Golden Knights are always winning, like, why they're always so good, well, it's because they have dedicated themselves to sacrificing their bodies because defense is ultimately the mindset that leads to championships. And Matthew, I think you and I, you and I both know just how important defense is. Like I remember when the Penguins won back-to-back cups, especially uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals against the San Jose Sharks, and and the the Penguins players were just like blocking everything in, in sight. And then same thing for my Lightning when we won back-to-back cups a few years later. You know when we were like all offense, all, you know all, all gas, and then we finally realized, well, we should, we probably need to uh, uh, play defense. And it was that that mindset that led to uh, us winning championships. So that's just, you know, and that's why, why that's why Vegas is so good. It's because they are a defensive uh, first team and that defensive uh, first mentality um, is why they uh, snapped the Oilers 16 game winning streak. Yeah. I mean, kudos to the Oilers. I mean, the way they started out the season, as we talked about on yesterday's show, uh, I think losing 12 of their first 13, it, their season couldn't start out any worse than it did. But to have this incredible streak to really even propel them back into where they are in the current rankings is amazing. But 16 wins in a row uh, in hockey is is tremendous. So kudos to them, what they're doing there. But yes, my Penguins from the 92-93 season are still rejoicing. Uh, you know, maybe if the Oilers had such an amazing mullet, uh, maybe they, they could have pulled this one out. I mean, I think maybe that's the key to success, but I'm, I don't want them to know that. So hopefully they don't hear that. But, I mean, their streak did end. Um, but that that is still a tremendous feat that needs to be talked about. Even yeah, and one of the things that, you know, when I was watching that game last night uh, that was talked about, <clears throat> you know, defense turns into offense. It doesn't matter what sport we're talking about. You know, so Edmonton in 13 of the uh, 14 games that they had won in a row, they had allowed two or fewer goals. You know, that's winning hockey, you know, because, you know, if you can keep the other team back and you've got one of the baddest goal scorers on the planet on your side, you know, you're probably going to do pretty well. You know, it's just the Golden Knights – they showed them how defense is done, you know, and that's because that's the identity of that team. And the fact that they were able to break through to a three goal lead because, you know, in the third uh, period, because that second period, that was, you know, a tough period. Uh, it remained <clears throat> uh, the Golden Knights actually tied very early in that period. And then, you know, for the rest of that period, it was very tough-minded, very defensive-minded on both sides of the ice. You know, so, you know, the Golden Knights getting through to three just kind of took the sails out of the Oilers in that third period. And that's how we wound up where we are now. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Ed, is is you've always heard the saying, defense wins championships. And, and defense is so important. I mean, think of... Uh, in the MLB, you have a pitcher who throws a no-hitter. Usually, for the most part, it's that team that wins the game. I mean, your pitcher just threw a no-hitter, right? So you would hope that at least uh, some of your guys on offense would at least hit maybe a home run or just something to get some runs in because what your pitcher has had, you know, you consider that defense has really had the team on his back. Well, 
the same could be said, like Ed said, in any sport where you you have a great stout defense, it's bound to give your offense more possessions, more chances mm-hmm. to eventually score and up the you know up the score itself. So yeah, defense yeah. is important. Hey, and you know, like just like you know, beyond simply pay, playing a a, a better team, um, we should also talk about um, the fact that like obviously this um, this win streak. Um, had to put a, a lot of pressure on the Oilers shoulders. I mean, like when people, I mean, cause I, I promise you, like they may, they may claim they don't talk about it or, or whatever, but I promise you those guys hear what people are saying. They hear what mem- members of the media are saying when they say things like, Oh, like the Oilers need just one more win to tie the uh, all time record. Like you don't, you don't think they, you don't think they uh, think about that. You don't think it weighs on them. It definitely weighs on them. But also in a way I would argue that losing, could actually end up being a good thing for them because now, and not that they weren't focusing on it before, but now they can really put all their focus on what matters the most. And that is making the playoffs and they don't have to talk about this uh, winning streak anymore. Yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely agree. And speaking of the media, uh, the media has been pretty, you know, on top of, uh, this next game, and more importantly, this uh, trade that happened uh, right at the trade deadline in the NHL, and that is Elias Lindholm, who is now a member of the Vancouver Canucks. And guys, quite the debut game for him in his with his new team. Um, I mean, he showed them why he was worth every bit of that first round pick that they gave up to acquire him at the deadline. I mean, Lindholm scored. The first two goals for the Canucks in this game against uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, um, and I mean that that was that was important. They end up winning the game three to two, but scoring those first two goals really sets uh, kind of the par, sets the momentum for this team. Especially when you just had a this is a new guy. I mean, uh, to have the chemistry that is something that you have to practice, you have to work on for a while because. It's not easy going to a new team. There is a lot of differences uh, in regards to that, no matter what the sport is. So the fact that he put up two quick goals for the Canucks is impressive. Um, and, I mean, the Canucks, they are now sit atop of the NHL. Uh, I'm sure things could change as we're speaking right now. But they are atop with 73 points. The Canes, on the other hand, dropped down to four points behind the Metropolitan leading Rangers. Uh, and that does now change because the Rangers, as of now, just beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, which puts them up even more. Um, but that could be a critical matchup down the stretch. Um, although the game was on the road for the Canucks, I think the home crowd for them is going to have a lot to really root for once they get back on their home ice. But this is go- this is uh, after their team's longest road stretch of the season, where they play five straight games on the road. I mean, guys, what a way to start the second half of the season, right after the All-Star break. You're going to be on the road five straight games, and uh, that's that's not an easy task. So uh, the home crowd, they're going to be anxious to see Lynn Holm on the ice, and this is a Canucks team who is now atop of the entire uh, West over here. And So I think that's something to keep an eye on, just uh, if they could continue to do that. We did talk about that yesterday with our predictions on who eventually is going to uh, – uh, uh, win this out, but and maybe get the president's trophy. And right now it could be the Canucks. So we still got a bit to go, but Lynn Holm, what an amazing debut for him as uh, two goals right off the back. So 
Uh, guys, I mean, I don't know if you guys caught any of the game, but I think that's a pretty impressive uh, debut for a new team. Uh, really quick before we hop on this next topic, I wanted to I wanted to see if you guys caught this today. Um, did you guys see that uh, Tony Pollard? Uh, he was on Pat McAfee today, and he said he quit social media. You know, he's a cowboy. Uh, it's it's kind of tough out there. <laughs> I, I don't blame him, but uh, he quit social media. He found out today on. Pat McAfee show that Dan Quinn was no longer defensive coordinator for the his Dallas Cowboys. How the heck do you not know that you play on that team? I just I found that really shocking that he had just found out, and it's been how many days? I mean, we covered it. I'm pretty sure last week. So that's maybe I'll give him benefit of the doubt five six days, but that's uh pretty shocking to me. Well, let me just say, go ahead, David. I think we can all probably agree that it's probably a good thing that he's not on social media. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, he's offense. Dan Quinn's defense. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about defense. He only cares about what his offensive coaches want out of him. So I I kind of get it, but I, your point is very well taken. There's There's no reason that you shouldn't know who your coaches are on your team. I mean, I was starting to think maybe he was taking a little spiritual out uh, ayahuasca retreat with Aaron Rodgers and just <laughs> had no communication with the outside world. So it was still embrace the darkness to be determined. But speaking <laughs> about uh, Joshua Tree, ayahuasca desert, there is a tournament happening in Phoenix this weekend. That is a PGA Tour, and Ed. I just want you to take this away because this is actually an amazing fan event, PGA Tour event here. This is the tour stop that is 100% about the fans. You know, when you're, yes, you have all your major events, you know, you're basically five majors, but four really count, let's be honest. Yeah. Uh, You know, but this event this weekend in Phoenix Happens every year with on Super Bowl weekend. Uh, so the final round ends about the time that kickoff is happening for the Super Bowl. And it is truly about the fans because it is the most attended golf event in the world. You're talking 150 to 200,000 people per day going to watch a golf tournament. That is nuts and not to mention how many people are there it is how they act when they get there uh, because woo that you know half the fun of watching this event you know on television which you know for those of us that actually do watch golf on television you know you want to turn into this one into the Phoenix Open because the players are half the story because you're going to see some fans out there do some kind of fun stuff, uh, you know, and yes, they try and turn away and not show people be idiots on television, but you know, it's happening out there, you know, and it, it starts from when they open the gates at 7am, people have already been camping for hours to get 
into the grandstands because this is a a a course in which there are it's basically a stadium atmosphere you know and the the main focus on it is hole 16 it is nicknamed the coliseum because there are grandstands on three sides it is three stories tall and when you hear how much alcohol has been consumed by this by the people that go into this tournament you'll you'll get it here guys what would you expect as a just guesstimate of how much alcohol to you know 150 to 200,000 people can consume over a four day a four day event uh, i mean I, I don't I mean it's crazy because Arizona State down there is quite the party school and I'm sure a lot of their uh, frats are going to be there but I I don't know maybe couple maybe 1 million 2 million type of drinks <laughs> last year they sold over 4.6 million alcoholic beverages last year <laughs> and it culminated in a streaker in a speedo <laughs> running out onto onto hole 16 pole dancing with the flag then juking a security guard running through the tunnel to get the hole 17 down the fairway down past everything with security chasing the entire way and dive straight into the lake uh, i don't know how much you have to consume to have that that idea that that would be fun to do because I can just imagine how much time he actually spent in the clink for that disorderly conduct. But that's that's just one example. But the whole idea of this weekend itself is about the fans just enjoying themselves, enjoying golf. It can be a fun sport. It is really the happy Gilmore of the tournament on the tour. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, very well accepted by all the golfers that are out there. You know, you think shooter McGavin versus happy Gilmore, you know, go back to your shanties. You know, this is golf. You people, you know, you know, the beach balls and you know, the, the signs and the, the fun, just (laughs) the completely diverse crowd out there just enjoying themselves, you know, and maybe there's a little golf. Yeah. You know, it's all fun and games and it's really something that I'd like to see in more sports where they have a fan focused, uh, you know, event like this on their schedule every single year, because, you know, for a sport that has this stuffy air about it, like golf, or tennis, or, you know, in pickleball, you know, if you want to, you know, pick a lower club sport, you know, they rarely have events like this that they embrace as a sport that fan-focused weekend. And, you know, David, uh, you know, what do you, have you seen any of any of these antics happen uh, when you've seen uh, this uh, tournament on television. You mean like when it comes to 
alcohol and all, and all that. Just the rowdiness and the raucousness of, you know, anytime somebody swings a club, it just explodes with excitement. Oh yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I, I have, uh, I, I have seen that before, and it is like it is, it is crazy, especially like you know during like you know during a a golf event like that where it like it can be relatively quiet for for obvious reasons, but anytime you know something big happens at the swing of a club or or whatever, then like everybody erupts in excitement. It's like it's like the be- the best thing that they've ever seen. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, could give you chills. If you're like a college football fan, you're loud, you're rowdy, but you're trying to get into golf, this is the event to really start watching because golf is quiet, not this event. Who was that, who was that one dude? Like, it, it happened at a recent golf tournament. Um, I believe it was uh, I believe it was his first ever uh, major golf tournament, although, although don't quote me on that, but... He had a he had a hole in one, and it was like the story of the of the tournament. Do you guys do you guys remember who I'm talking about? Tiger Woods, <laughs> not Tiger Woods, although obviously he had a lot of hole in ones. But but it happened recently, man. It happened like probably half a year ago or so. He was he was the story of, of the tournament. He, he had a hole in one, and everybody was talking about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, there there's I'm, I want to say I kind of know who you're talking about because it's been a golfer that's actually won several of. Uh, tournaments and it was like his first ace on one of them so um i i'm i'm drawing a blank on who it might have been right now but uh i know ed said tiger woods kind of sarcastically but that's probably if you look up that tiger woods ace at this tournament it's probably the most famous video of this tournament because tiger woods you know being you know pretty much uh the the granddaddy of them all when it comes to uh, golf. He is who is talked about the most uh, to see him, you know, hit a hole in one at this tournament is it's already crazy enough. So that, that if you haven't seen that video, I urge you to look that up or even look up uh, the video Ed was talking about. It's like watching blue mountain state, but on the golf course, <laughs> I, just there looked, was I just a golfer a few years ago that, you know, took his shirt off and started woohoo. And, yeah, you know, yeah. after a par, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, just, just have fun. And that's one of the things that you see, you know, the stuffiness of golf, you know, you know, detract people from getting into it. But like you said, Matthew, you know, college football fans, if you ever want to get into golf, watch this tournament. I just looked at it, by the way, and I think I found the answer. Does the name uh, Michael, Michael Block ring a bell to you guys? It does not to me, at least. Uh, okay. No, it was the 20, it was the 2023 PGA championship and he, he hit this insane hole, hole in one. And like, it became the, sto- the story of the whole tournament, but yeah, okay. no, something I'll definitely have. Oh, to oh, 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 that's the one where he dunked it. Yes. Yes. That one. Yeah. He dunked that one. Uh, that wasn't at this tour though, at this tour stop. But if yeah. it does happen here, you already know the roof is gonna, <laughs> oh. it's gonna be blowing off. So, absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, um, you know the the previous winners here that we have seen over the last couple of years, and honestly, we have a back to back champ the last two years, and that's the number one golfer in the world right now, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, he's going to be on the, the odds on heavy favorite actually going into this tournament and rightfully so. I mean, not only is he the back-to-back winner, he is also the number one 
ranked golf in the whole world right now. Uh, if you haven't watched this guy play golf, it, it is actually quite a, a sight to see. Uh, but before that, you had the 2021 winner, which was Brooks Kepka. Um, and he's made his way over to the Live Golf Tour. So uh, I think it's probably safe to say he's not going to win this tournament. But uh, it, it's it, there's been a lot of uh, great champions at this tournament and a lot of great runner-ups. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, uh, two years ago, won in a, a playoff on the third hole. I mean, it, it's, it gets crazy. And, uh, and any time he gets into a playoff, that is when – that the fans itself are so laser focused and uh, it, it is always fun to see, but guys, uh, I'm interested to hear your guys' predictions on who's going to win this year. I just told you that Scotty Scheffler is the odds on favorite. He is not who I have uh, winning. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and start with my prediction. Uh, for my prediction, I have Max Homa going to win this, number eight golfer in the world right now. There's just something about him that tells me it's just kind of my gut feeling here that he's going to win this tournament this year. Um, and uh, this is before I even looked at any of the odds. This was just something that I felt like uh, uh, he was going to win. But I want to say a lot of Vegas uh, are backing him right now as I think he is the number three favorite to win this tournament right now, if not number two. So he's right there behind Scotty Scheffler. But uh, uh, your guys, I'd like to hear your predictions. As somebody who isn't really that much into golf, but but is trying to get more into it, um, I'm just going to go with, I'm just going to go with the dude who, who has the most badass name in the tournament. And that's Wyndham Clark. <laughs> as soon as I saw his name, I'm like, okay, that's him. That's the guy that I'm taking to win the whole thing. Uh, it, that actually is a pretty good pick, David. Um, I, I think uh, uh, you can't really go wrong with uh, having a pick like him. I mean, he he's a part of the feature group actually starting uh, tomorrow. And uh, if you have ESPN plus uh, maybe on some other platforms, go ahead and check that out. That's going to be a good feature group. And Wyndham Clark just uh, got off of uh, winning the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, yeah. which is one of the toughest golf courses in the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. Right on, the, uh, right on the coast right there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be absolutely, it's hard to say easier course, but definitely not as uh, wind-whipping a course as what you'll find in Pebble Beach. Uh, to your point, uh uh, Matthew, Max Homa is the number four uh, power ranked uh, by PGA right now. Uh, so that's a great pick uh, for you. It's hard to say that somebody is going to three-peat uh, like Scotty Scheffler. Yeah. Uh, but all signs seem to point to Justin Thomas mm -hmm. uh, because he is, yeah. he is neck and neck with uh, Scheffler as far as uh, players that are just on top of their game right now, you know, and if I were to throw out a dark horse, I would put Spieth out there uh, yeah. simply because this is a player that shot his low round on the tour on this course. So if he can put it all together, like he did that magical day that he shot a 61 yeah. on this course, uh, it, he's going to make it very interesting for Thomas, Scheffler, Homa, Clark, you know, all these guys that we're all expecting to be there right at the end of this weekend. Uh, just off off the top of our heads, like 
Has there been any professional team slash professional athlete here in the States that's three-peated? Because I can't think of any. In fact, the only team I can think, the only professional team I can think of that's three-peated is Manchester City, but they're not even an American team. Like here uh, in America, I, I can't think of anybody. Bulls have two three-peats. <laughs> well, I mean recently. Oh, like, sorry, like, sorry, recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... I you know I couldn't 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 quite tell you actually right now at the top of my head um, who Not since Minnesota in the forties <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean uh, it's 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 a it's a tough thing to do but I I do want to uh, put this point out there you think of Phoenix you think of sun well actually it is going to be raining on the first day and or two there so that could be a, you know implication on. Uh, who can actually win this thing. But I'm glad you said Justin Thomas because that's who uh, uh, the odds are. They have Justin Thomas at two, then I think Max Home at three, but they do have Spieth up there too. So it sounds like uh, Vegas has uh, their guys that they're really putting money behind right now, and it's those four. So uh, also another point to pour, uh, point out is uh, uh, Xander Schauffele did uh, drop out of this event as well as, uh, is it Hovland? I believe, uh, and those are two of the top golfers in the world too. So, uh, mm-hmm. but there is some rumors on uh, one of them could possibly going to live, and that might have been why they dropped out. So, those are just rumors right now. Uh, as we saw, John Ram has brought his team over uh, to live, and uh, it's causing a lot of stir right now. So, <laughs> that's something to keep an eye out. But this tournament, guys, is something that you need to watch. If if it, it's get something to give you get you pumped. Going into the Super Bowl where no one wants any team to win, uh, this tournament right here will do it for you and give you that uh, that uh, kind of momentum that you're looking for. But uh, going on to a sport that's also that's not happening right now, that's MLB. I know spring training will be here before we know it, but we have a big signing. And I know Ed's pr- particularly happy about this signing. Ed? Yep. Uh, we have signed an extension and I say we, because I am a Houston Astros fan uh, and the Astros just signed another five-year extension for Jose Altuve to have him play until he's 39 in Houston. It's a five-year $125 million deal. And he's going to be a lifetime Astro. As an Astros fan, there's nothing that we could want more, you know, than to have our guy, you know, just stay with us, not be one of these guys that kind of hang on in another location. This is a guy that has really defined uh, the Astros, you know, and been the face of the Astros since he came into the league in 2011. So we're, this is going to be year 13. You know, he's going to be on for another six years, you know, so that is a long time being, uh, Houston Astro, but it's still going to wind up being second to Craig Biggio, the Hall of Famer, who also played second base. We just have good luck with them, I guess. I don't know. Hey, uh, Ed, real yeah. quick, what uh, what trash can did I'll tell you, I'll sign the contract on? <laughs> uh, Rubbermaid. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a legit contract right there. Yeah, because, uh, you know, it, it was a little quieter. Yeah, then, then the I'm steel just, cans. I'm just with you. Yeah. I'm just with you, my friend. Uh, David, <laughs> David took it away from me. I was going to say something similar, but uh, Altuve. No, he, 
you know, after signing it, he ripped his shirt off and showed that there's no wire. There's no wire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It, it was it, Altuve's defied uh, a lot of odds, and I, I, he is a fun player to watch. I, me being not the tallest guy out there either, it, to see someone like him have the success he has in the majors is incredible. So that is nice to watch, and I'm sure Ed may be saying this next, but. Uh, uh, I did see a report that uh, Bregman is going to be next for this extension. They want to make him an Astro for life as well. Yes, Bregman and Framber Valdez, now they get to work on those contracts because mm-hmm. they're set to be free agents in two years, whereas Altuve was going to be a free agent after this upcoming year. Yep, so get those extensions out of the way. Um, but speaking about a lifer, guy who's been around for a long, 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 long time with one team, uh, notorious for choking in the playoffs. Yes, mom, I said it. Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> yeah, so the Dodgers have uh, signed Kershaw to a one-year extension. And guys, I, I think this is a very easy perspective because Kershaw is old for a baseball player. He's 35, 36 years old. So I think from the Dodgers' perspective, they look at it as, okay, well, you're at a point where we can't really give you these mega deals anymore because at this point that would just be horrific business, but we want you to be a Dodger for life. So we're just going to keep turning out these one year contracts for you every single year. I think it's just as simple as that. Yeah. Kershaw is like the, uh, fit magic, you know, the Ryan Fitzpatrick of baseball. Yes. Fitzpatrick did bounce around from team to team, but Kershaw being on one team, you know, he's, this is the second year in a row that he's, had this free agency where no one really wants to give him that deal because he's older. Um, so the Dodgers are like, all right, we'll bring you back. All right, just come back. You know, you're a journeyman. Uh, if we make the playoffs, maybe this time we'll bench you, but then we'll decide we'll start you game one and then we'll lose. But uh, it's just he's been around for a while. And it, it, I, I mean, I like to see the move because I like seeing players that are with one team their entire career it's just really nice to see and Kershaw's a Dodger he'll always be a Dodger unless he's a Montana who decides that he wants to go to uh, the Cardinals or something you know for his last year it's like what come on so they, Kershaw going back Dodgers a really smart move and a one-year deal maybe let him announce that it could be his last year and let him do his uh, farewell tour like we've seen with all the greats absolutely and what you know you say that you know, he's old for a baseball player. You know, he's no Justin Verlander. Yeah. You know, he's, he's hasn't been as durable as Verlander has, you know, over the past five years, mm-hmm. you know, in, you know, the last five years, Verlander's over 40 at this point, you know, yeah. and he's still out there, you know, pumping gas through yeah. the strike zone. Yeah. But that, no, that is, that is definitely, that is definitely a good point. I mean, like there are, there are pitchers, out there who can pitch into their uh, old age. Like I remember uh, Roy Halladay, may he rest in peace. If I remember correctly, he was still a starting pitcher, you know, in his forties. I know Ed's going to say it, but Nolan Ryan. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, not, not to mention Zach Grinky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zach Grinky, the, the EFIS, the famous EFIS. <laughs> It is so, I, and I, I really don't know why. I can't explain this, but it is so hard to believe that Zach, that Zach Greinke is, is old now. Like I just cannot picture him as as an old guy. I don't, I don't know, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's just a quirky guy. Maybe, uh, maybe <laughs> quirky creation can talk about no. him. 
I'll, well, you I'll, know, it's like, yeah, let me just say this, uh, one thing real, real quick. I don't, I don't know if you guys uh, know this or not, but what's really incredible about Zach, about Zach Greinke is that the dude actually suffers severe um, social anxiety. Like he hates being around people. And the fact that he was, you know, such a dominant pitcher, like, you know, for so long, um, despite dealing with um, severe social anxiety is just really, really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually a great point there. Uh, I mean, given that recognition, just like George Springer, um, who Ed knows uh, great as well. I mean, uh, he has a stutter and what he's, how comfortable he's become on these interviews and uh, being more aware about it is also a really great uh, thing to see within sports because we're all human at the end of the day. And uh, you know, life is, 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 is greater than, any of us could really explain, but uh, Zach Grinky been around for a while. I'll always remember the days where he was at the Royals and it seemed like him and Kershaw were winning Cy Young's every year, Tim Lentz to come. It was just such a great batch of pitchers that every single year you saw their name on the Cy Young uh, finalists. And Zach Grinky is, is, is an amazing uh, pitcher. And so is Clayton Kershaw. So Kershaw, if it's ever time to hang it up, do it and uh you, you'll always be a dodger you'll always be a phenomenal pitcher to me but uh that's about all we have today folks um so um, i urge you go ahead look up some videos and and tune into this uh, uh phoenix open i feel like you will uh, be very happy that you did so it's something that is different uh, you think of golf you think of just quiet or you're taking a nap on a saturday or something but it's it's actually very fun to watch. So go ahead and check that out. And I will uh, say, I will say on on that, if you're watching the Phoenix Open on television, keep your Twitter open and watch for updates that go across Twitter from the Phoenix Open because I'm sure there's going to be something on there that the cameras will not show you. Absolutely, <laughs> it's like when a yeah when a streaker comes on that on uh, any pro sports, they will not show it. So, but there'll always be someone who has their phone out that will update you on it. So, go ahead check out that feed. Ed is exactly right. So, go ahead do that and uh, give us a like, uh, subscribe, share these videos, and uh, drop in the comments uh, your predictions for. Uh, just uh, the next big signings for the MLB. There are still a lot of great uh, free agents out there. And uh, who you think is going to win this uh, Phoenix Open? We really like to hear what you have to say. But uh, uh, until next time, guys, we are rounding third and we are headed for home.